Hello, and welcome to Raising Eco-Minimalists, a podcast that acts as a community for those who are raising kids who care about their mind, body, and the earth. I'm Laura, your host, mom to a five-year-old and self-described anxious eco-minimalists. Thanks for joining. Hello, and thank you so much for being here. This is the Raising Eco-Minimalist podcast, the very first official episode. And not only is it the first official episode, it's the first solo episode. And I am so excited to be here with you. Thank you for spending your precious time with me as well. This episode is actually one of the last ones that I've recorded in the launch series. So if you're listening to this at a later date or just not sure what the heck I'm talking about, on launch week, which was Earth Week of 2021, I launched with five episodes and I recorded the majority of the episodes before I did this one. So I've been able to learn some things as I go and hopefully just continue to make these episodes better and better for you. That being said, some of the episodes, the sound for me has changed a little bit. And again, that's just me learning and exploring a little bit more. So I appreciate your understanding and your patience with me as I learn this world of podcasting. And again, just thank you so much for being here. This episode is all about eco-minimalism. We could think of it as an eco-minimalism 101 episode. Now, this podcast this podcast is all about raising eco-minimalists, right? Right. Well, this episode is going to be the one exception, at least that I can see in the foreseeable future, in that it's not going to be specifically tailored towards raising tiny humans. And that's because I thought it was important to lay a foundation or a base to explain what the heck eco-minimalism is, right? Because I'm going to guess that some of you out there may not be super familiar with the term, and that's okay. It's a term that is, I think, becoming more mainstream, especially within the last couple of years. So I wanted to do a kind of a base episode Eco-Minimalism 101, and then the next episode is all about raising eco-minimalists. And there's a super special guest, Stephanie Safarian, the queen of sustainable minimalism, and she has a podcast of the same name. You may be familiar with it. It's fabulous. Check it out. And she also has a book called Sustainable Minimalism, which we'll get into in the episode. So I'm not going to go too much into there. If you were concerned that I wasn't going to touch on eco-minimalism and kids, don't worry. I've got a full episode for you where we dive all into it. So back to eco-minimalism 101. So what the heck is it? I've already said that. Well, to look at the definition of eco-minimalist, I think that it's important that we look at the definition of minimalism and also zero-waste living. Quick side note, I'm going to mostly refer to eco-friendly living, sustainable living as zero-waste living. Why? Because that's the realm that I'm most familiar with, and I think there's so much overlap that we can kind of cross-apply a lot of these tips and resources to 
the green living movement if we want a really big category umbrella. So just a, a side note going forward. So back to the minimalist minimalism definition. There are a few. <laughs> I know it's frustrating to not have a clear-cut definition. I'm somebody that I want to know what is it. I don't want gray area. I deal with anxiety. Anxiety does not like gray area. However, with these types of movements, whether it be zero waste or minimalist or what have you, there isn't a clear-cut definition. And yes, that is frustrating, but it's also a good thing because all of our journeys are different. All of our lives are different. We have access to different resources. We have different availabilities. We have different family structures. We have so many different variables that there can't be a one-size-fit-all. We all have different interests. That's great because we need all types of people involved in these movements. So yes, it can be frustrating not to have a clear-cut definition, but I try to keep in mind that this variability is a good thing because that means that it can apply to more than one type of person. All right, so what is minimalism? I'm going to read three different definitions because I thought they were all good. So when we think of minimalist, minimalism, oftentimes we think of the white walls, uh, very spacious rooms, very few things. And that kind of applies to these first two types of definitions. So the first one is the use of fewest and barest essentials or elements. The second is extreme spaceness and simplicity. And the third one is from the minimalists, and that is tool that can assist you in finding freedom. Okay, now the zero waste definition is brought to you by the Zero Waste International Alliance. Their mission is to work towards a world without waste. Did you know there was such a thing? Their definition was last updated in 2018 and it states zero waste. The conservation of all resources by means of responsible production, consumption, reuse and recovery of products, packaging, and materials without burning and with no discharges to land, water, or air that threaten the environment or human health. All right. It's important to note here that the term zero waste originated as a manufacturing term. It was a goal for businesses to produce items with as little waste as possible. It then transferred into the consumer realm, uh, an individual type of movement, and has since grown from there. So now that we have both of those definitions, how can we apply that to eco-minimalism? Well, I think that it is up to each individual person. <laughs> Don't turn off the podcast. I know it's frustrating. But to me, eco-minimalism is being conscious or mindful about what we bring into our lives and our homes and how we dispose of those things. I like that definition not only because I made it up, haha, but because it can apply to so many different things, right? So when we talk about minimalism, so often we think of the physical items and the physical clutter. And while that is a very big piece of it, there's also mental clutter, electronic clutter, relationship clutter, calendar clutter. There's so much clutter that can 
be applied to our lives or that we are struggling with that is far beyond the physical items. So when we look at eco-minimalism and we think about it as being conscious about what we bring into our home, that can apply to a number of different things. Then we have to look at how we dispose of those things. Well, I think that that can apply as well to not just waste, but also our clutter, physical, our mental clutter, our relationship clutter, our calendar clutter. You know, we're not just going to toss them aside without any second thought. A lot of us have a hard time saying no to somebody or a commitment, for example. When we do it with care and we're conscious and mindful about how we do it, that is, to me, fits under eco-minimalism. That's just one example. Okay, so that's my definition of eco-minimalism. Maybe you have a, a different one. I would love to hear it. Tell me about it on social media, Instagram, send me an email, put it in the comments. I'd love to know. That's the great thing. Again, it can look different for everybody. Now that we've defined it, let's take a look at where it came from. Well, like zero waste, eco-minimalism actually started in the construction realm, specifically for building construction. A man named Howard Liddell was very anti-excess in terms of stuff and environmental waste. He, I don't know if he coined the term, but he talks about the term eco-bling. He's very anti-eco-bling. And that is just putting sustainable features into a building just because. They don't really serve a purpose uh, so he was very minimalist in that aspect and wanting to be eco-friendly when building, but also not just putting stuff just to have stuff. He only wanted to use what was needed. And I think we can see with that definition how it can easily transfer to an individual lifestyle. If you're interested in learning more about eco-minimalism and how it started, there is a book that Howard Liddell wrote. You can find it used on eBay and you can learn more about it there. Perhaps even your local library has it. You can check and see if they do. Okay, so we found out where it came from. We talked about the different definitions and how those merge into a definition for eco-minimalism. And now, one of the biggest pain points that I hear between the minimalist community and the zero-waste community is how do you find balance between the two? Because while there's so many similarities between zero waste or eco-friendly living and minimalism, there's one key difference. There are other differences, but one key difference as a zero waster, you don't want to throw anything away because you may be able to use it. You can upcycle it. You might be able to give it away. But as a minimalist, you don't want that extra stuff laying around. You are trying to get rid of clutter. You don't want to deal with cleaning extra stuff. You don't want to deal with moving extra stuff, sorting through extra stuff, any of that. So what? where's the balance? Well, again, and don't get mad, <laughs> it's up to each person, okay? I will share what I do, and that is I designate a certain area for excess stuff. I'll use the example of glass jars because that's kind of a, not only a stereotypical example, but a common one. So when I buy pasta sauce or salsa, whatever, 
it comes in a very nice glass jar. And those glass jars are super handy. They can be used for storage. They can be used as flower bases. They can be used as uh, leftover storage. And there's so many different options, right? So I want to keep all those jars instead of sending them into the recycling and utilizing more energy, turning it into some new glass item. However, I don't live in a big house. I live with other people, my husband and my son, and we just don't have room to have cupboards full of glass jars, nor does my husband want a cupboard full of glass jars. And as we'll get to in the next part, living with somebody else means compromise, right? So how do we balance that? Well, I have a designated spot for glass jars. It holds maybe six or seven. Once that area gets filled up, then that means I either need to use the glass jars already in there, or if there's extra, they go into the recycling. So I let space be my deciding factor. Now, one of the benefits of having decluttered so much is that I have extra space for stuff like glass jars. I have a cupboard full of compostable silverware and single-use paper plates that we get from restaurants or leftover from a party before we were zero waste. But I'm able to balance that zero waste and minimalist side because I took the time to make room. If you let space be the quote-unquote bad guy, then it's a lot easier to determine what you can and cannot keep. Okay, so I talked about my husband, and when you live with somebody, it usually means some compromising, right? Well, another big pain point within the eco-minimalist movement is how do you get your partner, roommate, kids, etc. on board? The truth of the matter is you can't make anyone do something they don't want to do. And I don't mean that to come off as condescending, but I have seen in... Facebook groups, uh, other forums, people just saying, you know, oh, just take care of their stuff. Just do what you want to do with their stuff. And don't do that. Don't, don't, don't do that. Please. (laughs) If there's anything you get out of this episode, that might be my biggest point. Don't touch other people's stuff. Even if it's your spouse, be respectful. But seriously, you can't force anyone to, to do something they're not ready to do. And this is probably a whole other episode, but there's a lot of reasons why somebody may not want to declutter or may not be interested in zero-waste living. A couple of examples are maybe your spouse or roommate or partner grew up in a area or lifestyle of scarcity. Maybe they did not have a lot of stuff. It was hard to be able to afford even the basic necessities and having stuff makes them feel comfortable. Or maybe some of you can relate with your grandparents who grew up around the time of the Great Depression. They didn't throw anything away ever, ever, ever. And a lot of that still carried forward as they grew older. So there's a lot of emotions that are tied with our stuff and That can affect how we approach different lifestyle movements such as zero waste, minimalism, or eco-minimalism. So again, do not force this upon anybody that's not ready. There are things you can do though. First, lead by example. Do your own thing. Pay attention to your own stuff. 
apply certain zero waste swaps as you can. Start with your own stuff. Have conversations. Show and share resources or watch documentaries together. Tell them why it's so important to you and so on. Those are just a few tips to get you started. But again, don't force it upon anyone. There might be a lot more underlying things going on that you don't know about. Heck, they might not even realize it. So just do the few things that I mentioned to start with and see where it takes you. Okay, so we're kind of wrapping up here talking about what eco-minimalism is and sharing a couple common pain points. Let's talk about some quick tips on how to get you started. I'm not going to dive into this really heavily in this episode because this whole podcast is about eco-minimalism, so you're bound to get lots of tips throughout the different episodes. But to get you started, number one, reduce, reduce, reduce. For those who don't know, I have a blog called Reduce, Reuse, Renew. So I'm all about reducing and renewing. A great place that you can start with reducing is to reduce your consumption, right? I know that this is not as straightforward as some people may think it is because, again, there's a lot of emotions behind why we shop, why we consume, all of those things. But if you can just start by paying attention to the things that you're consuming and the things that are coming in your house, that is a fantastic place to get an idea of even what's coming in. There are a few ways you can track this. You can do so by starting a budget if you're not already budgeting or paying attention to your spending. You can also even literally keep a piece of paper and a pen at your door and start writing down things that as they come in the house. For some people, having a no spending month or even starting smaller like a no spending week or even a couple of days is also a really great way to see actually how much you are spending on stuff. A second tip is to make space. So if you haven't already started decluttering, now is a great time to do so. There are tons and tons of resources on decluttering all over the internet. I will link to my decluttering blog post archives in the show notes and you can get a great start there. I also have a free seven-day course that you can also check out. But otherwise, Pinterest, YouTube, uh, Google, or Ecosia, those are all great places to find out how to start decluttering. And you don't need to dive all in. Just one or two small areas at a time is, is a great place to start. I usually recommend starting with a place like a junk drawer or uh, some people recommend a bathroom because the emotional ties to the items in those areas are usually a lot smaller or less than other areas. So those are great places to start. Uh, I will also say that there is a great app called Toss, T-O-S-S. I'll link to it in the show notes. It's free and it gives you one category a day to declutter. So one example might be cords or medicine, stuff like that. So very small, manageable areas. And then So you will declutter that specific area and then you enter in how many items you were able to get rid of and it keeps track for you. So it's kind of a fun way to see exactly how many items you're decluttering. Of course, as an eco-minimalist, you're going to want to make sure that you're responsibly disposing of those items. Some options are a local buy nothing group or freecycle.org group, Nextdoor or Facebook Marketplace. 
are all great options for giving stuff away. They're becoming very popular. I will link to them in the show notes. I also have a monster blog post that gives resources for getting rid of almost everything responsibly. Does it take more time to do this? Yes. However, it's important that we responsibly dispose of our stuff, not only for the environmental side effects of it, but also because taking that extra time is a great motivator to not let that stuff come back in your house. I try to keep that in mind because I don't necessarily want to be repeating these processes over and over again, right? So it's great motivator when I'm tempted to want to consume something. And then the last tip for adopting eco-minimalism or at least starting to adopt it is give yourself time and show yourself compassion. This is not an overnight movement or lifestyle. This takes time. You didn't consume all these items overnight and you're not going to be able to get rid of them all overnight either. Take it slow, show yourself compassion, and try, I know it's hard, but try not to feel guilty about the things you can't control. It's okay if you end up bringing in a bunch of single-use plastic. It's okay if you don't have access to easy zero-waste swaps or a bulk store or a zero-waste store. It's okay if you can't afford to make a bunch of eco-friendly swaps right now. That's all okay. We're all coming at this with different areas, and the important thing is that you are moving forward in the best way that you can. All right, I could talk about this all day, obviously, because I started a podcast on it, (laughs) but Some quick resources for you to further your eco-minimalism education. This podcast, obviously. My blog, Reduce, Reuse, Renew, which I'll link in the show notes. You can search for eco-minimalism or sustainable minimalism via the hashtags on Instagram and find some great accounts that way. As I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, the Sustainable Minimalist podcast and Sustainable Minimalism book, both by Stephanie Safarian. And there's also a YouTube channel that I'll link to in the show notes as well, all about eco-minimalism. All right, that wraps up the very first episode of Raising Eco-Minimalists, and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a little bit more about eco-minimalism. I hope it planted some seeds of inspiration to define it in your own way, and I hope it also got you excited for the remaining episodes of this podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much again for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing. These three things are the best way to ensure that the podcast reaches other people who are trying to raise eco-minimalists. Additionally, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, as well as the link to join the Facebook community group, all in the show notes. Finally, don't forget that you can become a member of the podcast and receive benefits such as extra bonus episodes, episodes a day early, learn about guests ahead of time, and lots more. The link to becoming a member or to find out more info is also in the show notes. Oh, and one last thing. Don't forget that in order for sustainable living to be sustainable, it has to be sustainable for you. Until next time, bye.